0: Welcome to the final installment of this mini series on U2 and theology. Today, Dr. Gambus and myself have a conversation about community and what it means to coexist and be amongst one another. I was thinking about this in regards to trees, how their root systems communicate and nourish one another. They live, survive, and thrive in community. The Bible Project did a really great series on all the different ways in which trees are used throughout the Bible. It's fascinating. I'll try to link it in the show notes. But this here is from a German author, and I believe I'm pronouncing this correct, Peter Boyleben, and his book, The Hidden Life of Trees. These are a few excerpts. When trees grow together, nutrients and water can be optimally divided among them, all so that each tree can grow into the best tree it can be. If you help individual trees by getting rid of their supposed competition, the remaining trees are bereft. This is because a tree can be only as strong as the forest that surrounds it. He goes on, but isn't this how evolution works? You ask, the survival of the fittest. Their well-being depends on their community And when the supposedly feeble trees disappear, the others lose as well. When that happens, the forest is no longer a single closed unit. Hot sun and swirling winds can now penetrate the forest floor and disrupt the moist, cool climate. Even strong trees get sick a lot over the course of their lives. When this happens, they depend on their weaker neighbors for support. If they're no longer there, then all it takes is what would once have been a harmless insect attack to seal the fate of even giants he continues but the most astonishing thing about trees is how social they are the trees in a forest care for each other sometimes even going so far as to nourish the stump of a felled tree for centuries after it was cut down by feeding it sugars and other nutrients and so keeping it alive the reason trees share food and communicate is that they need each other It takes a forest to create a microclimate suitable for tree growth and sustenance. Every tree therefore is valuable to the community and worth keeping around for as long as possible. And that is why even sick individuals are supported and nourished until they recover. This is because a tree can only be as strong as the forest that surrounds it. I really like that. Today we park for a while in the song one, perhaps the most famous song, by you 2 definitely one that most people know. And the lyrics at the end of that song go as such. One love, one blood, one life, you got to do what you should. One life with each other, sisters, brothers. One life, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other Carry each other. One. All right. So here we are, episode three, the finale, the climax the dramatic conclusion to this mini series on U2 and theology, or I don't know. I don't even know if there's a technical actual theme to what we're doing other than just U2 two and life, yeah. U2
1: and everything under the sun.
0: <laughs> U2 and everything. U2 and all of us staring at the sun. And what does it mean? Everything um, that
1: we can think of, which is why these are only, you know, <laughs> there's only three of these. <laughs>
0: Well, I think we were joking around like we could, there's certain pieces of this puzzle that you and I could probably talk about for hours. Oh, yeah. Uh, So we're giving you, in some ways, even if it may seem wandering, a pretty condensed version of uh, how this conversation plays out over beers or coffee. So uh, since we recorded last, uh, we had spent some time talking about grief and hope and grace and... Um so i I thought it was a you know listening back at, to edit it I thought it was a really good conversation. I think I said in the intro that you and I were buzzing cousins afterwards kind of like oh, it was all, so I, fun really thinking about a lot of that stuff the stuff with wake up dead man and oh yeah uh reflecting on Jesus being on the cross still when that was it was uh, still processing through some of those ideas but One of the things that has been, that stuck with me from the conversation last time, or what uh, I've been kind of rolling around through, is um, community, and Hmm. we are in... I know obviously you and I have talked about how this is not the most divisive time in history. Um, you've commented rightly so that our country once went to war with itself (laughs) and a lot of people died. So this is not the most divisive, um, time period, but it's perhaps the most divisive time period that we've noticed in our lifetime or at least in recent history. Yeah. It's all out in the open. It's all, we are, we are a very exposed raw tooth at the moment and the nerves <laughs> are frayed and people are, and I was thinking about that cause we talk about it a lot on the podcast. We talk a lot about, um, division and the church where the church is at and how polarized everything is politically. And even within our own tribe, so to speak. And, um, not only that, but the pandemic is, um, drawing hard lines with people and, there have been some things that have happened in families that I've seen that I don't know that family members will recover from. There's some Mm -hmm. deep wounds that have happened. Um, harsh things that have been said and worse, um, some things health wise that have affected people. And there are these ideas that maybe there are divisions that we will not come back from. Hmm. And we start to kind of pull ourselves into this tribal idea, tribal mindset of just kind of being with like-minded people. Um, As we're recording this yesterday was the recall vote in California. And it has been really fascinating to watch how that has played down um, the lines in neighborhoods here with people who think that the governor is the worst thing that's ever happened to civilization. Uh, It's just, uh, it's wild. And so everything is like heightened and, Banana pancakes at this point um, But we hinted at Or we kind of We touched on the song One Last episode um, We talked a little bit About how Bono Was asked about Like can you speak To this idea of being one And the importance of us Being one And he said Yeah that's kind of a That's a great idea But it's more It's perhaps Perhaps more effective To respect each other Because of our differences Or and I'm paraphrasing a quote that I read 20 years ago. So this is a real loose game of telephone, but (laughs) there's something to the idea of, of that it's more fruitful or more important to like be into each other because of what makes us different rather than trying to all be exactly the same. And I know that (coughs) song you, you immediately were like, yeah, uh, we get to carry each other. That's how that song plays out lyrically. So I thought maybe we could start there and kind of talk about how in the world do we, and I don't know, again, we don't script this out. So we're just spitballing. So I'm throwing stuff on the table and we'll see if we can make a meal out of it. But how do we coexist going forward in this time period? And then not just globally, but, in our immediate communities it has become difficult to kind of be in that place, so maybe we could start yeah. with one and see what see what we get out of this
1: yeah totally it, it's um uh as you're talking i'm just i'm I'm just r- running through lyrics and also running through um i mean you, you had mentioned first corinthians uh it, it's um in first Corinthians and also in Romans Paul uses that body metaphor uh he uses it elsewhere as well but especially in those two letters he uses the body metaphor and the members of the body like the body parts yeah that make up the body and um the essential unity that we um not not, we are unified in an essential way that is it, it is essential to our being christian that we are knit together that we are that we are united together and um i mean christians being redeemed humans have a great opportunity to reckon with our true humanity so reckoning with the reality that we are uh we have solidarity with our fellow humans it, and it's not um that's not optional it's part of being human to reckon with each other to recognize each other and i'm, I'm just thinking about uh, you brought up the song um, "Invisible." Yes, that's part of that. I mean, the the um, about seeing each other, you know, and and it's it's written from the perspective, it's song from the perspective of someone who wants to be seen, and then um, there's that refrain, you know, there there is no them, there's only us. Yeah, and it's it's that statement of the reality that. Um, uh, our being together and our embrace of one another, like all humans is part of our humanity. There's no, uh, them to blame. Um, and, and not merely to say like, this is your fault, but, um, especially in heightened times, like we're experiencing now, the thought is, um, everything that is messed up with the world is on you all. And you have to take the fall. Like you need to go, Or you need to be eliminated or something like that and anytime uh we let passions and impulses i mean going back to i mean just if we think about the last few decades but just going back to 9 11 and how many of us were um um fired up to regard muslims Mm -hmm. and arabs it's like they are the ones you know they have to go or something must be done to them um Moments like that, it's understandable. We can explain. It's understandable that there are cultural dynamics that produce dynamics like that. Um, but what we have to recognize is our humanity is being taken from us if we become the kinds of people that that other some other group. So if we if we see the trouble that's being um, stirred up as You know, this is on you. You have to be punished. This is on you. You have to go. So, I mean, just think about any of these groups like immigrants and whoever. And, um, yeah, that, that invisible captures all of that, but also, um, but one also captures that. So I think I'm pretty sure that that song was, uh, written Bono had a friend, uh, who came who was gay and came out to his father and was rejected and that's you know that the song is allusive enough that anybody can kind of fit their life narrative in there or or moments in their life narrative when we've you know everybody's experienced rejection and pain of some sort and i think it's a beautiful job of capturing um how it is that that rejection comes about uh comes about you know there's there's one person that has rejected another, um, but the reality is we're, we're one, we're not the same, but we get to carry each other.
0: Yeah, that's a really powerful and,
1: line. Oh, totally. It's not an exhortation like we've got to carry each other. It's the essential truth about our humanity is that we, um, we sort of rise into the fullness of our humanity. We become even more human <clears throat> when we gather with those who are different from us and see it as our privilege to to carry one another yeah um, i mean that the essential connection while also recognizing there may be um running difficulties in getting along we may have irreconcilable differences but our human our common humanity is absolutely undeniable or else we yeah. deny we deny our own humanity in denying somebody else's humanity
0: it's always weird and i know this this is kind of like Uh, waxing poetic or something and some people will roll their eyes but when you look at the solar system or the universe and you think about our one little planet as a like just this one life raft that's floating around and it has this collection of people on it that have to survive together in the vastness of space and then you think about petty disagreements or even to the level of war it just all seems asinine and I love that idea The we get to we get to carry each other is such a the idea that we get to do that like it's this privilege to walk alongside other people and to help each other up when we fall and that kind of stuff is it is a really profound idea and you see it i don't know if i had heard that um story about his friend and his father but you really i mean did i disappoint you or leave a bad taste in your mouth you act like you never had love and you want me to go without Mm. Well, it's too late tonight to drag the past out into the light. We're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other, carry each other. Mm. It's heavy. It's yeah, got powerful goosebumps. stuff, man. It is powerful stuff. <laughs> Have you come here for forgiveness? Have you come to raise yeah. the dead? Have you come here to play Jesus to the lepers in your head? Did I ask too much more than of. a lot? Yeah, oh, man, too much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's brutal. Yeah, when you think about it in those terms, uh, if you just remember, keep in mind that narrative, it's like, whoa. It's really incredible.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting cause the end of that song, um, I think people as we are want to do start to take everything literally as we do with scripture. Mm-hmm. And, um, the end of the song says, you say love is a temple, love a higher law, love is a temple, love the higher law, love a higher law, love the higher law. You ask me to enter, but then you make me crawl and mm-hmm. I can't be holding on to what you got when all you've got is hurt. I think yeah. people ought like when, people get in the Christianity conversation about you two, and they read a stanza like that. They're kind of like, what? That's not how God, that's not what God does to us, or does not make me crawl into the kingdom? And it's
1: like, totally. (laughs) That's us. We've done that. Like, that's how we engage in relationships. It's like, and and, I mean, that last verse could very well be directed at the church. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, we're the ones that, We'll talk about these lofty ideals and realities and love and whatever but um we're also the ones telling others whom we want to come into our communities or whatever uh here you know we're the ones making them crawl yeah Uh, here are the expectations here are the ways you failed um yeah we want to sort of lay down the law or create expectations and um attach uh requirements and all that kind of thing lay burdens whereas genuine love liberates you know entirely but it's interesting
0: if you look at the structure of churches on the i don't know that if you're listening to it i think we've talked about it but the podcast about mars hill that mm -hmm. christianity today is doing the last episode was fascinating because it was all on demon hunting oh yeah and uh spiritual warfare stuff and it was I, i had not heard half of that i didn't know that was this secret society that a lot of those churches had going on. And I was just like, whoa, 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 this is all really interesting. But one of the things that had nothing to do with the demonology stuff, well, I guess it was kind of, uh, related to it was, they're talking about the church pyramid structure. And at the bottom of the pyramid is children. And then it's women. And then it's men. And then it's elders. And then it's this lone pastor. Mm And, and, who has more divine access than everyone as that delineates out through the pyramid. Yeah. And how you can see how structures are built for people to be made to crawl totally. in a structure that's built that way. Yep. And so it's like, how, how do we develop true community with people in the, in the, in the sense that it was intended to be built. So this is the thing that I'm always wrestling with. Now we are, We've talked about on Voxology about how I, we don't have a church here because when we moved here, we hadn't committed to a church yet. And then we went right, went right into the pandemic. And so we're, we decided that we would take this time to decide what it is that we think church is or what it should be. And, you know, we went into this new creation series and all this kind of stuff that was talking about maybe perhaps what God's intent is, what was God's narrative and whether or not church is in line with that because we have this unique position to be able to pull a group of people together that is perhaps looking in that direction or posturing towards what, and when we look at those hierarchicals, higher art, that's a hard word to say. Oh yeah. Hierarchical structure. There you go, you gotta slow it down, man.
1: <laughs> that's what I have to do.
0: How do we build true community? Like in the, in the sense that God intended, and obviously you won't get it right, but how do you posture yourself so you're at least facing the right direction? Yeah, I don't even know what we're talking
1: about now, but <laughs> <laughs> the the topic, everything, everything. Yeah. So, um, I think one of the one of the things that's implicit in any kind of a structure of a church like that that becomes toxic or that um, that does demand that some people crawl is at least. I mean, I'm sure there's loads of ways of looking at this, but just one thing that I had thought of is um the denial of reality when it comes to the fact that we we're all um in pursuit of discipleship and we're all um i don't even i want to say broken or or this is all kind of messed up and this is all kind of being healed i think mm-hmm. that some communities portray themselves. So i think churches are temp churches get tempted to do this and pastors fall into this temptation to portray a community as if it has everything together. And um, one of the dynamics that sort of makes people crawl, humiliates people that are sort of in process, is if a pastor gets distanced from just the, you know, all the regular folks, a pastor can typically portray his or her own life as having it all together. Right. And one of the things that I love, um, you know, when you brought up this topic, I was going back to all of the, all the songs that I just could think of that capture the truth as it's told in one, Mm. that, that um, there's this essential unity that we, um, that we have. And when we embrace that, we sort of enter into our full humanity But yet, there's going to be—we're not the same, and we're going Mm -hmm. to have—we're going to have differences. And I'm just—I mean—thinking chronologically, I'm just going all the way back to Joshua Tree, and um, I mean, this is streets, Um, right? Because where the streets have no name, I've—I at least this is how I've understood this. Um, The two roads that run through Belfast, the Shankill Road and Falls Road. They sit like they're they're one block away from each other, and there's a peace wall that is built in the back in the back gardens between the two neighborhoods, and um, that is like the, the most divisive part of Belfast. It sort a of stands in a peace wall, in.
0: literally, to, to keep the peace between two.
1: Oh, totally, yeah, yeah, uh, Protestants, Catholics, or um, whatever you call the two groups, but it's uh, so Bono is looking ahead to this this time when the streets have no name, when there are not mm. these divisions. Um, but then also like we, in, in that song, we're always, we're always building and burning down love. And it's like, this is our constant pattern. We belong to each other. We're building together. We're, we're always hurting each other. We're burning it down. Um, I think also of um, the two love, this has always struck me. The two love songs in um, uh, Wild Honey, that is on all that you can't leave behind. I love then, the deep cuts
0: that you bring in as like, <laughs> what's like that? streets streets is a really like most people know where the streets have no name or one. Yeah. But like we spent so much time last episode on California, and then Wild Honey is like an even deeper <laughs> That's hilarious. I love it. I love it. So uh gonna the, add it the, to the playlist.
1: Oh yes. And put right next to it uh a man and a woman is that the name of the song from uh how to dismantle an atomic (laughs) bomb love it yeah a man and a woman because what what strikes me about those two and this is what i mean by saying um one of the essential parts of enjoying healthy community together speaking the truth about things yeah uh because in wild honey there's this line I mean, the, the imagery is so bonkers. Like, he, you know, they're monkeys swinging from a tree. Yeah, you know, it just seems put,
0: like a goofy song. Yeah,
1: but there's this line where he says, um, I got to be careful. I don't want to get choked up if I, read, if I say it. Um, did I know you? Did I know you even then, before the clocks kept time, before the world was made? And, and it's like in thinking about um, his wife, and and you know how this is from human experience it's like you know i know my wife and i met when i guess i was 19 hmm. and it's like you know that there's this period before you before you got together and you know you had yeah, 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 you yeah. have memories i have memories of going to ball games in high school that she doesn't have but uh, that where she's not part of it. But it's like when I think about our relationship from one perspective, it's like, that, was there a time when I didn't know you? Because the melding yeah. of souls is like that. Yeah. But right after that, the next album, because those two albums are, they have different uh, tenors. Uh, All That You Can't Leave Behind is, is sort of like looking at everything from um, this, I don't want to say positive, but from the perspective of beauty from grace i mean that's the song that closes that album and from the, the reality that it's a beautiful day even though everything's all messed up uh how to dismantle an atomic bomb starts with vertigo so it's it basically starts at genesis 3 hmm. and ends with this cry to god with yahweh and, and and it's just a darker album it's just more in um you know 9 11 had happened yeah um you know we're, we've gone to war and so the love song is a bit more pensive in on that album and it's about you know the constant refrain is the mysterious distance between a man and a woman hmm. and it's like how how can it be and so what i'm what i'm trying to get at in all this is just to say it is so astonishing about human relationships where on one hand you can look at your partner and just say how like did I always know you before like there was ever anything? And on the other hand, it's like, you also have those seasons and moments where you're like, I have who are you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And like, we don't even know each other. Yeah. So I'm just trying to get at an essential part of community and these relationships is just knowing that we're there's there, there are seasons, there are realities and um, it's both beautiful that we're together. And also it's gonna to be tough. Yeah, you know.
0: No, that's really interesting because you think about how complicated, or I, if I think about how complicated I am, like in class yesterday, we were talking about um, this, this, uh, this article. Called Hi- Hidden Intellectualism, and it was advocating that street smarts should be more of a part of the conversation in the classroom. It shouldn't just be book smarts. Mm-hmm. And so I was asking the students, like, well, how can you, can someone define for me the difference between knowledge and intelligence? Like, what is, what is, I gave an example of when I was in college, I had a geography class, and our final, they gave us a blank map of the entire world, and we had to Ooh. label every country in the world. And I nailed it. I got an A on it. Wow. But 45 minutes later, I couldn't remember half of it. Oh, yeah. Like I just crammed the information in my head so that I could regurgitate it quickly. And then I walked out of there and it just was gone. Mm-hmm. Did I learn anything from that? No. Uh, so being able to bring in experience into it, something so that you can sort through information that street smarts. I asked the students, said, hey, what's, can someone define street smarts to me? And one of the guys said, it's knowing when to run. And I was like, dang, that's, that's kind of, that's really an interesting way to articulate that. And mm-hmm. we so we had a long conversation about what that looks like. And it was really fascinating because the nuance of what it means to be an individual human, because I can only really speak to the intricacies within myself. Uh, and then as we've talked about, the Enneagram helps with this a lot because, you know, when we were dating... Uh, and it's similar I met my wife I think when I was 19 also Hmm. and um, you know it was the five love languages was the big (laughs) thing at that time period right learning how to and I still think about it often because I will find that I will try to love my wife the way that I experience love totally and she'll just be like I this doesn't mean anything to me (laughs) and it's and so you know we're 20 something years in and I don't I still struggle with that, like Mm -hmm. trying to love her the way that I understand love. And so the Enneagram has been helpful for me to like, she's wired so different than I am. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning the intricacies of what that means and how to like respect that and to love that and to love her the way that she needs to be loved. Now I try to take that to a community. I mean, just my own family, Uh, how to coexist with different humans that share my DNA Mm-hmm. And then I break that out to my community around me. And it's like, this is a complicated process, but in learning to really respect those differences, because there are those moments or those moments, like, have I ever not known you? And then yeah. this is like, I don't know who you are. Yeah, totally. And sitting in the balance of those two things is kind of amazing and can be a really, like we talked last episode about how Jesus really embodied the grotesque and the other. Mm-hmm. by becoming human. Um, learning to, and I I, will, I want to do a series so bad. I've been begging Mike for a while to do a series on like who is Jesus as a human? Mm-hmm. Because we, Jesus, I think to the majority of people is an esoteric idea. Mm-hmm. Like we have an idea of this like ideal human or whatever mm-hmm. that, but who is the human deity that walked on the earth like can we put some flesh and blood to that to really understand who that person may have been and i'm so curious to crack that egg open because i think there's so much more to learn than kind of the the tropes that we continue to mine if that makes sense but Mm -hmm. even in light of this conversation about how to exist i've told this story before but i think it's really funny there's a movie called dogma by kevin smith that um, oh, yeah. I, I can't recommend that anybody go and watch because it's a super <laughs> crass um, heretical film um, but if you can handle that kind of stuff it can handle <laughs> crass humor and bad language um, the idea there is that these two angels fall and they're trying to they're wrestling through wiping out humanity. The angels are always presented as jealous in literature and in film, which I oh, think it's is interesting. It is really interesting. Cause they're always like, this is God's beloved and we're not. Yeah. And so yeah, they always yeah. have this like chip on their shoulder about like, we were here first, but God likes you better. And it's this like sibling rivalry yeah. that often comes up in literature. Um, but there's this one scene. So there's Chris rock falls to earth and he is the thirteenth apostle who was left out of the Bible because he's black. Oh, dude, that's and hilarious. Chris Rock has this whole like diatribe about it. And it's wonderful, and um, but he's sitting on a can, or he's he's uh, what is he doing? He's traveling with Jay and Silent Bob, the two characters that are in all of those movies. And Chris Rock, they say, what was Jesus like? And Chris Rock says, man, he would. Uh, how does he say? He said he would. At night when we were traveling around, we would sit by the campfire and he would just sit there and listen to our stories and smile. Like he Mm -hmm. just loved humanity and was so invested in like the, the humanness of what they were doing. And the days were filled with what we would read in the gospel. Obviously this is it. like I said, just a story from a crass movie in the nineties that has no (laughs) biblical relevance whatsoever. But I've always liked the idea the, the picture that Kevin Smith built there, that Jesus was just smiling and was delighted in some of the humanness of us. Yeah. And I, and I think about that in community, like how can I delight, how do I, how do I really embody the mindset of I get to carry you and you get to carry me. And and what does that mean in a, in a, in a real, in a real way, not in a rhetorical way, but like a, a real sense.
1: I haven't thought about that movie in so long, but it makes me think (laughs) about uh, the Eddie Murphy skit when he used to be on Saturday night live. This is way back in the eighties where he uh his name i can't remember his last name but it was he was clarence the fifth Beatle, and he got cut, <laughs> he got cut out <laughs> he got cut out and they had um uh he said if you play this one song backwards on the record it, he he played the recording and it was like hey paul let's get rid of clarence and steal <laughs> all his good ideas
0: <laughs> it's so great i loved it
1: um, oh man but you know i i it makes me think about um even, even all of the the songs that you two has done that celebrate the reality of them, and the audience, and um, this is how I have understood the city of blinding lights. Mm. Um, city of blinding lights is is about the concert. It's like, you know, you look so beautiful tonight. I mean, this is, this this is what it's all about. Uh, the the concerts are. Um, especially of the last 20 years, are, are not about necessarily the performances that the band puts on. They're about the band inviting the audience in to sing along with. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's been a, um, a growing emphasis on the band playing other people's songs in, like, you know, before a concert starts, they play everybody else's music. Right. And um during the concert they will often play like they do like a lot of Everly Brothers stuff and, and wh- whatever. Yeah. But it's like um I don't I just wonder if there's like a reorientation of our imaginations when we think about being Christian where we have to um oh by the way, that's what that line the songs in my head songs in your head are now in my mind. That's from uh Oh, it, um, was it No Line on the Horizon? Um, that, that's also about the process of um, the band and the band's relationship with their fans. I mean, it's like um, there's no line on the horizon. There's no difference between the band and them. There's no difference between music of the past and music of the present. It's like it is all this one thing. And um yeah, there's there's that song is so interesting. Uh he's a traffic cop on the Rue du Marais, Simon screaming, but it's me that wants to get away. Like he just sees himself as this director of traffic where it's like he stands at the intersection of rock and roll itself and music and everyone and, and like everyone who shows up to their shows, and it's like, don't be a fan of this person we together are inhabiting the music the music holds us and i just wonder if we had a different conception of of being christian in terms of like it's not that i am a christian i, I try try to get that language out of my mm. mind you know um I, I just try to identify for myself as much individualistic language as i can yeah and it's like i don't think of myself as a christian um, and I should go to church or yeah I get I go there with those people. It's like when we gather that's the that's the whole event that's what it's all about um, our being able to be with each other are uh, being able to be embraced and to embrace, to listen to speak um, to share how we're doing to hold one another's stories and triumphs and tragedy and tragedies and to have have ours held by others mm-hmm. it's like, that's the point. And so, I mean, the church's gathering in the first century was around a meal. It was the right. Lord's meal where there could be extended lingering for everyone to be together. And it's not like I, I bristle when I hear this on the part of um, folks who talk about the purpose of church. You know, we kind of gather to be equipped and then scatter to do stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like when we. in the first century there was no scattering everybody lived on top of each other right but in in our at least in in america we do scatter it's like we that we exist in this sort of unnatural state where we are a body part disconnected from the rest of our body the most natural place for a christian to be is around the the, you know the assembled meal listening or being listened to eating enjoying Mm so um I do I do get it when people talk about like um you know U2's body of work being basically like a hymnal or whatever I don't know about that um but it's like they're talking about the same thing when when it's all about uh the gathering and bodies being together and just it's about elevation um <laughs> it's about you know it's about just being in one place inhabiting music having music inhabit us that's it's just the richest thing in the world just like community is when we gather as church so if that's the reality then how do we think about difference how do we think about um the ways that our culture um drives us to be in conflict with one another i mean that that yeah we have to reckon with that and and have to sort of um hold all of that very loosely and learn the practices of forgiveness, learn the practices of reconciliation of grief together. Yeah. Um, celebration. Which is interesting. Together. Like
0: it, it, you know, I guess one of the, in, in the conversation of kind of, I don't want to say redefining, but in my personal pursuit of trying to understand what the purpose of church is that we kind of mentioned earlier. Another thing too, is like, I've, I've been a worship leader for years and I can't do it right now. Uh, the why is songs, that? What do you mean? I just can't. The songs. Well, I guess I, in one form, I'm not sure I understand the function that worship serves.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. It, in Mike's words, like in the pep rally for Jesus that Sunday mornings have become, I don't know. I've lost. It, I've lost the thread of what role worship actually plays for us, not just in the church, just in general, like why do we worship? And and then, and what function does it serve other than just, and so, and then again, the lyrical content of most of the songs, and I'm like, I can't sing these anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't think these are necessarily accurate or um, purposeful. Um, And so one of the things I want to do with the Wanderer podcast next maybe is I've been trying to dissect hymns some purposeful hymns that I think are interesting because so when you said that their, their discography is maybe not a hymnal and in some ways like maybe, maybe it's a more precise hymnal than a lot of the songs that we currently sing because they are wrestling with humanity and humanity's relationship to one another and humanity's relationship to a deity. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I look at the most poignant hymns from the last few hundred years, Um, a lot of them are dealing with, uh, you know, looking at that, that exact relationship, looking at a societal conflict or a societal understanding of something and our role in it. And then looking to God for purpose or meaning or, or whatever, like trying to sort through that mess. And I think that's really interesting because it has a lot of extra, uh, human reality or context to it that when I watch a lot of the modern worship songs, half the time, I don't know what they're talking about.
1: I think that's and, partly the point.
0: I, it, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why I'm struggling so much with being, you know, I, I recently had to turn down a worship thing. Cause I'm just like, I, I'm, I think they thought I was like a crisis of faith where I was like, I don't think I can do this right now, but I was just like, I don't, I don't think I can do this right now. And yeah. I don't think I can inhabit that space. And, whatever the, you know, whatever it means to lead people in that I'm not in a place where I understand what that means or even think it's a real, I don't know. So I'm I'm sorting through all that kind of stuff. But I, when I think about the hymns, certain hymns there, they certainly, you know, worship as justice or whatever that we've talked about before. I think there's an interesting interplay in a lot of the hymns where that is the case. Hmm. And, um, and even in the Psalms, you'll see a lot of that as well, where it's, uh, And maybe we can segue uh, into that for a second. You know, we were talking before we recorded about September 11th and the Super Bowl. Oh, dude. So that kind of does inhabit some of this conversation a little bit. So um, obviously today is the 15th of September. Uh, When you guys hear this, if you listen to it when it comes out, which I don't know that anyone does that, but uh, we'll be a couple weeks removed. So this last Saturday was September 11th and it was the 20th it had been 20 years since that happened. And uh, I was trying to think about, like everyone has a relationship to that in one form or function. Either you, maybe you knew someone personally who was there, um, all the way to the other side of the spectrum where like my children who are nine and five, they Mm -hmm. only have a historical relationship to it. Yeah. And seeing the way that we talk about it every year on that occasion. And Uh, but I can only speak to my experience. And I had just like quit my youth pastor job. Um, My wife and I broke up. Um, We weren't married at that point. And I just impulsively went and registered at a small Christian college in Northern California. I don't know why. And then when I got there, it was the 2000 election. And I realized that I didn't know why I believed anything that I believed. I had Mm -hmm. just been handed a faith and a politic that, um, I didn't understand the root system of. So I just went nuts on that campus. I debated every single person on politics that I knew nothing about to try to find out why any of us believed what we believed. And I found that my root system on a lot of topics was very shallow and as was a lot of other folks. Sure. And I had to sort through and see, well, what do I think is true? What is actually true? So it ended up being a fantastic in that way for me that I had to sort through a lot of stuff. Um, September 11th came, you know, more than a year and a half into that process. I remember being woken up that morning by roommates, turn the TV on, you got to see this. Oh, yeah, classes, it would have been six
1: in the morning for you.
0: Yeah, classes were canceled uh, and students were just kind of wandering around trying to sort through a myriad of emotions, mm-hmm. uh, rage, rage grief sorrow but a lot of it was confusion because no one can process the immensity of what oh it was bananas what was happening and um so in 2002 the first super bowl that followed september 11th -hmm. you two played the Mm halftime and so i think we can talk we can sort through some of this stuff and it's kind of interesting they opened the set with beautiful day which was still kind of their big single at that time and that's right it's anthemic yeah. And everyone's on their feet and it's what you expect from a Super Bowl halftime like just yeah. energy and positivity and um and then right after beautiful day they start singing MLK. Mhm. Which is a song they rarely ever play live. It's almost fully a cappella. Yeah. And I don't know how you would quantify that song. It's not it's like a it's almost like a prayer saying you uh, sleep sleep tonight and may your dreams be realized it's like either like a
1: a blessing or a lullaby or something like that it's only like a like a verse and a half or like or two half verses it's just really simple and you can see unforgettable fire
0: yeah you can see bono pleading for mlk to to finally have rest and for us to see that dream of um you know this togetherness or this end to violence mm-hmm. and this kind of stuff, um, happen very powerful, but not what you expect in a halftime show. And it's a snippet. He sings the song with the edge
1: and then the opening. I think it's, I think it's so powerful because it's a subversion of what you expect. Yes. It's so American to respond, uh, to what happened with defiance or yes. with, um, you know, triumphalism or like, we're not going to, you're not going to, we're not going to let them win or something like that. And beautiful day um, is that whole thing where things are messed up, but you have to take another look at things. Mm-hmm. And then MLK was like, I, I always think about that episode in with you too, as like Bono pastoring America. It's like he he actually led the country into a moment of grief into yeah. into like a pensive posture, um, mournful, soulful, I mean, it is so bold and brave and and but courageous and loving. and, and, and people tender. have
0: weird reactions to that right. So we you either like I, I remember thinking this is the only Super Bowl bef- and since also that I cried during the halftime. Oh, I was a mess. (laughs) And so like there, there is a catharsis in there where, and I, and I don't mean this in a way of like trying to deify Bono by any sense, but I think that he was like, you're saying very intentional with the way that he created a space for people to just kind of like cry out, like kind of let go. And so as the chords to the opening organ to, uh, where the streets have no name starts to come in, Hmm. Bono can, he whispers into the microphone. Oh, I should have pulled it up, but I, I didn't get to do this. It's uh, Psalm 51 uh, uh, and uh, verse 15. So he says, Open my lips, Lord, and my mm-hmm. mouth will declare your praise. Mm-hmm. Again, a weird thing to do at a Super Bowl halftime. Mm-hmm. And it's leading into where the students have a name song that we just kind of discussed a little bit. And so the implications are bananas at this point. What is Psalm 51? The heading, the subheading on Psalm 51 is for the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. (laughs) I was like, okay. Mm. So we have a Psalm that's dealing with repentance and confession Mm. in the middle of talking about, and there's a lot of violent language in that Psalm. If you read the whole Psalm, Um, there's a lot of talk of bloodshed and um, bones being crushed and wombs and just some intense Pretty language typical. That, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> typical song. <laughs> David would be an interesting study too, because I think he's such a fascinating character in his relationship to who he was with God and who he was to humanity. it's <laughs> yeah, an interesting yeah. dichotomy. Mm-hmm. But um in regards to what you were just saying before all this, and I've talked for a while so people may not be able to reconnect that, but this idea of being with people through, in this case, a, a tremendous act of violence and hatred that we did not have the, the capability to process mm-hmm. uh, individually or collectively. There's something that's interesting about um, that series of songs and mm-hmm. that verse in there, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Mm-hmm. What, what, like, what were you thinking when you processed through that? Like, where what were you was so at? striking
1: to me is, um, well, we were living in Britain at the time. So it was, it was, it's always been weird for my wife and me because we, we lived in Scotland. Um, and so we're not really a part of the national experience. Mm. <clears throat> but, um, but I'll never forget that Super Bowl. Uh, watching it um i mean you've you've hit everything that's that happened in the lead up to streets, but I think it started right during m l k There were those two sort of shafts of light oh, that's right. behind the stage and it's it's like just kind of connecting back to this to everything we're talking about It's like well
0: they dropped those banners around everybody's names well there was, the yeah there were
1: the two banners. And in two shafts of light, so kind of representing, uh, the world trade center, they're all the names of of the, of people who had died. And again, it's like where, where you two went was our common humanity. Like Mm -hmm. let's remember Let's say the names. And in fact, um, that is consonant with, um, uh, what's the song from that album? where um oh uh where he ponders where he says oh. all the names yeah, he says the names yeah. these these lives are bigger than any big idea uh what is the name of that song shoot it's escaping me it's like gareth and and brita <laughs> totally their lives are bigger than any big idea so it's like he, he peace on earth is that what's yeah that it? peace on earth it's such a such a beautiful tune that again goes back to reconnecting with our common humanity. Mm-hmm. And uh, and with streets, I mean, that is just, it's got to be the most powerful performance of streets um, that they've done because of the moment. And what I loved most about, <clears throat> what I love most about that, um, get choked up. What I loved most about that moment was at the very end uh, where Bono's got that jacket on and it's got um it's all the stitching, his football uh-huh. laces, it was so funny. And he pulls the jacket <laughs> to the side and it's got an American flag. Yeah. You know, and it's like and he just shouts, America? Right. I mean, no, actually yes. was it that, wasn't it at the beginning of the that song? That it, proceeds so it's after the song. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like it, it kind of builds and then he does that. Yeah. And it's like I mean, just look at the imagery he's wrapped in america he's Mm -hmm. he's there in the midst of america it's it's all this kind of joining together of common humanity um there's yeah that's what's that's what strikes me is that it was a performance that kind of that was intended to kind of pull everyone back to who we are to what matters um and of course you know the story of the last twenty years has been a horrible one in many ways because right. it's been just you know, um, it's just how to dismantle an atomic bomb. Oh, what's the <laughs> is it boots on the ground? It, or um, oh, love and peace or else. Oh, I love that song. I mean, that's the story of these last twenty years. Um,
0: that's an interesting just, song, actually, to put in tandem with "Peace on Earth." Yeah the peace on earth song is really interesting. Just I'm going to read a few of the lyrics. Yeah. Uh, Cause one of the things that Bono, I remember, uh, so I was just reading a bunch of articles trying to, I, I was reading a bunch of theologians and pastors calling him a heretic and a progressive Christian and how he's ruining the gospel, et cetera, et cetera. I read a bunch of that last night. And, um, one of the things that Bono said once is, I mean, he would always defend like, I'm not, I'm not a good, I'm not, Trying to be a poster boy for what it means to be a Christian, and I will never claim that. Um, he's usually saying that he's trying to inhabit um, what he thinks that the gospel is asking for, and he has this line that says something to the effect of like the scripture that I that hits me the most is is in the Lord's prayer when it says um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he said that's what I want. Mm-hmm. we could all use a little bit of that right now. Some heaven mm-hmm. on earth. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. And so what, you know, with things like Jubilee, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, or anything that he's done with AIDS or the poor or wealth, redis- just redistribution. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, it has all been really interesting in that respect. So that song, peace on earth, heaven on earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all of this mm-hmm. hanging around sick of sorrow. This, so this is pre September 11th. Yeah. I'm sick of the pain. I'm sick of hearing again and again that there's, Going to be peace on earth. When where I grew up, there weren't many trees. Mm -hmm. Where there was, we'd tear them down and use them on our enemies. They say that what you mock will surely overtake you, and I think this isn't especially pertinent. Mm -hmm. And you become a monster, so the monster will not break you. So you become what you hate the most to defend yourself from what you hate the most. It's already gone too far. You said that if you're going hard, you won't get hurt. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line?
1: Heavy duty. Yeah, it is. Especially if you think about how uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't on our radar, but 2000, 2001, when they're writing that, that's in the wake of, I think it was 1998, the Armagh bombing, so, uh, which was huge in Northern Ireland, um, w- which I think was a, was a big wake-up call to everybody that things had gotten way too out of control. So like the 21 people maybe that died in that bombing, 18 or 21 or something like that. Um, those are some of the names that he mentions in oh, that song. Yeah. So for him and his backdrop, it's like that had just happened. And yeah. it, it's, it marked it marked um, uh, Northern Ireland. It really, um, I mean, helped the peace process in some ways, but it's also, it just was pure tragedy.
0: The, the lyrics going forward in that song too, and peace on earth. I, I mean, the whole thing speaks to all of this. Um, Tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living in the ground, peace Mm -hmm. on earth. No who's or whys. No one cries like a mother cries for peace on earth. And and we've touched on the mothering stuff with um, some previous songs too. Oh, yeah. And Grace as a woman. And um, she never got to say goodbye to the color in his eyes. Now he's in the dirt, peace on earth. Mm -hmm. They're reading names out over the radio. This is what you were just mentioning. All the folks, the rest of us won't get to know. Sean and Julia, Gareth, Ann and Brita. Their lives are bigger than any big idea. Like that's a profound oh, statement huge. also.
1: That's that, that is picked up in, uh, songs of innocence. What is the song? Is it, C- um, there's, there's a bunch of songs about the troubles on, um, on, Cedarwood
0: road definitely deals with bombing.
1: There's the one where he, I think it's Cedarwood road. Oh, no, maybe it's was raised by wolves. It's raised by wolves. Sorry. When he sings, Uh, I don't believe anymore. I don't believe anymore. And because there's a line in there um, where he says that the worst things in the world are justified by belief. And that's that thing that the big idea, the big idea that we want this island, you know, we want a, a united Ireland, we want the Brits gone, and it's worth killing people to get that, or whatever the big idea is. It's like, humanity and humans are always they're always more valuable than any ideology yeah always and and that's i mean i've i've thought that for a while i had a really significant couple of conversations with my daughter about all this a couple years ago where it's like if if there's any ideology any ideology that causes you to do damage to people there's something wrong there's just something wrong um and I mean, I think about this when it comes to how, how so many Christians regard LGBTQ plus folks. It's mm-hmm. like if we're if we're if we're in the kind of situation where we're treating people badly, um, there's something wrong somewhere. We're not doing this the right way. We, we got right. we have to rethink um, practice or or whatever. Um, something's gone wrong, and so uh, I think the same thing with regard to. You know, nationalism or even our political divisions now. If we're, whatever side we're on or whatever we think, if we're speaking badly about one another and doing damage, we're 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 on the wrong side. We're we're on, we're, we're inhabiting the wrong kind of postures. There's no big idea that's worth it. Yeah. And so when it true. comes to that, it's like, yeah, I don't believe anymore. There's no yeah. ideology that's going to make me do that.
0: Yeah. That. It, yeah. That's such an important word their lives are bigger than any big idea yeah i i feel that I i've always kind of felt like if i'm unsure on something i'll try to err on the side of love and and i don't mean that in like a really hyperbolic sense but really just looking at things that way is is what we're doing yeah and we, we are we are a land of ideologies totally in every way that you just mentioned and especially the church has become that place where right now everyone's trying to draw a line in the sand on so many topics to say this is what it means to be Mm -hmm. a follower of Jesus and they're all very even on both sides of the fence they're both uh, can be very exclusive in the way that they speak towards one another Mm -hmm. and then you just come back to that do we do we hold a posture where we get to carry each other, where we get to do this, That's it's a privilege yeah. <clears> to carry one another and to um, respect those differences and love each other in the tapestry of what humanity is is really such a profound...
1: It's huge. And simple... It's the task. Yeah. To remain in that posture of hospitality when other people seem out of control, angry, and they're going to hurt us. Yeah. it's hard. Or when... Um, when people seem like they're going to do damage when we disagree profoundly it's easy to to give into that impulse to cut them off or to not be hospitable or to not take up hospitality or you know take up an invitation to to have fellowship but it's like the biggest thing in the world is that we have each other and we've got to hold each other because that's that's how we have our humanity enriched whatever they think about a vaccine or whatever they think about a mask or whatever they think about the president. It's like, these are, these people are the richest possible gifts I could receive. And they're good for me. This will be good for me. It's tough, but that's the pursuit. Yeah. It's tough. What is the final, what's the final refrain from the final, if we're going to, but this is the finale. (laughs) Um, the end is at the end of the first song or the end of the last song in so- songs of experience um how does it go in the end oh love is all you have left oh that's such a beautiful song it's like love is all we have left and it's like that's all we have it's all we have and it's all we need i, I love how in streets uh there was a season there where um bono was singing uh love 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 all you need is love i just loved that you know yeah. so cool from the uh
0: from the fifth beetle from eddie murphy <laughs> <laughs> clarence <laughs> well i think that was great i th- it was a good hour on community and coexistence and totally man how to carry one another and why we hit um, a ton you know what's interesting is that almost I'd say 95% of the songs that we talked about were from Octing Baby forward. Yeah. But YouTube purists will always try to claim the opposite direction.
1: See, this is the thing. I think that they I th- yeah, well, like we were texting last night with Kevin, it's like if you if you just listen to those first few albums, it's like their songwriting is so um it's so raw that it's just too undeveloped. Mm-hmm. At the same time that I say that, it's like um they they were they were kind of talking about that sort of waving the white flag of surrender as the only weapon. I mean, that's the lyric from um Soldier Soldier. Well, this is where you can find me now from Songs of Innocence. Mm-hmm. Um the you know, you know Complete Surrender is the only weapon we know. But Bono was talking about that like in 82, 83. So the stuff is there. It's just so undeveloped in the middle of all. is just screaming well, and, you know, I mean, that's so what they're saying.
0: Yeah, the first episode of this, we kind of talked about our journeys uh, with the band and kind of how in some ways that journey that they take is m- mirrored by people in, you know, our... Yeah. our our generations or whatever and it's when i think about albums like boy in october the first two records um and that they were teenagers Mm, roughly totally and, and so you know i i think about i was joking with my students yesterday when we were talking about um i was trying to explain that time period where i was coming into my own and developing my own thoughts and it's like and I and I thought I came to understand all those truths in my early 20s that now I look back and I'm like God what an idiot oh totally but man I thought I Coolest. had a correct so it's it's interesting because Bono has had a similar trajectory where um, he got you know he did a lot of work on poverty when Clinton was was the president and um, and a lot of work on AIDS obviously and then when Bush came into office I think everybody assumed that he would not have anything to do with George Bush yeah. jr. And, uh, but instead he was very involved with Bush and people are like, what are you doing? This guy does not uphold the same principles. And he was like, I will work with anybody oh, yeah. who is willing to work for good or to do these. Th- and, and, and it was like, that was a shift in how to approach that conversation rather than being against everything. It was like, how yeah. can I be for things in the most constructive way possible? Yeah. Totally. And when I watch my journey as a human, you know, Sure. I was angry like boy. I was thinking I had it all kind of figured out like October and War. And that kind of leads into something like Joshua Tree, where there's an earnestness to your understanding of everything. And then yeah. it, it's the sound of cutting down a Joshua oh, Tree totally comes man. in right after that. And then yeah. now we're in these eras where Bono's processing is so much bigger than that. Yeah. And and in some ways so much smaller deeper. than deeper.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is like the simplicity. It's like the simplicity on the far side of complexity.
0: Yes, and I think that's really kind of beautiful. And it's for me has really mirrored that trajectory. Yeah, being young and angry, uh, being you know still kind of young, but thinking I figured it all out. Listen to me talk about it. Yeah, and and now being like I will I will pursue the common good with as many in any way that I can. Yeah and try to embody the idea that we get to carry each other Like that, that, I, that it's a profound emphasis on the get and it's something that I'm trying to hold as tight as I can
1: <laughs> yeah old man says that we never listen we talk about what we don't know <laughs> old man yeah old man says we don't listen how could we have something to say I, from uh, this is where you can find me now uh, yeah I just I just feel like as we grow, things get richer. Your understanding deepens. Your understanding um, goes to sort of new levels. But yet, what 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 I think is interesting is that even with Octune Baby, in fact, that may have been the start, yeah. um, where even though things got so complex and layered in so many of the songs, um, until you know, until the end of the world. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple other. I
0: don't think we ever even talk about like. I can't believe that. Overt, the more overt biblical songs. Out yeah, of,
1: totally. Their
0: records and we didn't even but get to that.
1: At that point, um, there's all these complex narratives that they're talking about. And constantly there's the intrusion of love. That's where I think it starts on that album mm. where it's like love just comes in and just it it scrambles the equation. It changes the equation. It's this invasion that reconfigures things, which is so cool. So cool. And then it just makes, if you think about the final word from songs of experience, it's like in the end, like love is all you have left. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a statement of hope. It's not a statement of like um, surrender or like, oh, great. It's like love is all you have left. And that's the point, Yeah, which is so cool, I think.
0: Love it. Well, hopefully maybe people if you weren't a YouTube fan and you made it through three episodes, maybe you'll sit down and give the discography a a run.
1: Yeah, give it a run. I think, through. It's,
0: I think it's worth the it could be worth the time invested. Good road trip, as Mr. Gombas has often said, it's these are records that are good to be uh uh listened to in the car on a long drive straight through when you can try your hardest to match Bono's uh, vocal range, especially in those late eighties, early nineties. <laughs> it's hopeless. <laughs> there are songs that will just destroy your throat, but in the best possible way, but I don't know. Ho- I hope overall this is encouraging. It was encouraging for me. I, Mike and I were joking on the last, are oh, on a so far at this point, a nine part series on the Bible right now. And it just keeps getting longer and longer as we kind of, tear into the what it means to what the Bible is or whatever. And we joked around like, well, if it's a barometer, like I'm learning a lot and I'm super interested. And he says he's learning a lot and he's interested. So if that's a barometer for success, then it's super successful. (laughs) Totally, man. This has been (laughs) so so fun. I've loved it. It's been great. All right. As they say, that is that. This concludes our mini series on U2 and theology. Thanks for tuning in, thanks for hanging out Thanks for listening to the music Thanks for indulging our archaeological expedition into the lyrical and narrative content of U2 We had fun, as I'm sure you can tell Uh, Hopefully you did too Hopefully you uh, got turned on to some U2 music that maybe perhaps you would not have normally Uh, As I said on the first episode If Voxology is the record the Wanderers, the B-sides. This podcast will be here some weeks and others it will not. It's a Wanderer and it will do exactly that. I've got a couple other series ideas and different things that I'd like to touch on in the future. Hopefully we'll have time to get weird. Try to turn over some of the stones that don't normally get turned over. Maybe, I don't know. So Stay tuned, watch your feed. When they land, they land. Thank you. For wandering with us and I'll leave you again with the patron Saint Black Francis if man is five and the devil is six and God is seven thanks folks
1: <laughs>